0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Today we conclude our Running with the Giants series. Um, the, the premise is that in heaven there are all these great people from the Old and New Testament that uh, have come before us. They have completed their, their laps, their, their time here on earth. And the Bible talks about them in Hebrews 11 and what we kind of affectionately, affectionately call the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And we've been using this verse from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it's a great verse, and it talks about these greats, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so we've been asking the question, what would, what would it look like, what, what would it be like if we could get advice from these people who have gone before us, who have lived life, they've been through it, they've, they've done it, and what would happen if they came out of the crowd and each one took a turn as we, you know, the, the analogy is we're running this race before them and they're cheering for us, but what would it sound like, what would it look like if we could bring them out of the crowd one at a time and have them run a lap with us? And just whisper in our ear encouragement and, 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 and things that maybe that they have learned in their journey that might be useful, and might be helpful for us. I, I hope that this series has been uh, encouraging for you. I, I sense that it has, based on some of the things that have been said to me in the last couple of uh, weeks. But uh, what would it look like if, if David came out and ran a lap, or Mary, or, or, or Jacob? And, and what would they say to us? And and you know, we they've gone ahead, they've done it, they've lived a successful life. We're in the middle of it. Our story is yet to be completely written and the jury is still out, so to speak, on whether or not we're going to be able to uh, live as successfully as they were and are we going to be able to do the things for God that God's calling us to do. And we've reduced their life story, basically, these giants of the faith. We've basically taken one encouraging thing that they might say to us and we've kind of honed in on that. Today's character is a a woman named Rahab, and she is actually mentioned, she isn't mentioned, she is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And and what's interesting about Rahab, if you grew up in church, you know this, but if you're new to church, if you're new to your Bible, you haven't read it a whole lot, then this is going to be news to you. Rahab was a prostitute. And here's the interesting thing about Rahab. Rahab will end up being the great, 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 to about the 28th or 29th generation grandmother of Jesus. So here's the big question this morning. How does a person go from being a prostitute to being in the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus? How does that happen? That's one of the things we're going to talk about today. Literally, her blood flowed through the Messiah. What would she say to us? And I think one of the things that Rahab would say to us uh, is, is this. Man, my life didn't start off all that great. In fact, my life started off pretty dark. It didn't look very good. It, it didn't have a great direction or a great tilt to it. But here's the word I think that, that Rahab would probably use with us. I think she'd say, I was very disappointed in how my life story was being written. The message today is for any one of you who would say, I'm not really liking my story so far i'm not really liking the direction of it i'm not really liking some of the turns that that my 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 life story has taken Um, this can't possibly be what god had in mind for me here's what we know from reading the bible we know that our life story is being written by god psalm 139 tells us all the days for you were written in god's book before even one of them came to be and some of you hear me say that and you you would scoff and you would say you mean to tell me you mean to tell me God wrote this and the answer is no he didn't The truth of the matter is that God has a beautiful story that he wants to write for each of us but we tend to add a chapter here and there. We tend to take the pen out of God's hand and we tend to write our own chapters. We tend to sometimes Write our own beginnings and our own endings into things. And all of us have added chapters, myself included, that are a bit crazy and sometimes stupid and probably very puzzling to those that watch us and certainly to God. Um, We've all written those silly, stupid, puzzling chapters in our life. We've all done that. And whenever we start writing our story and it goes in a disappointing direction, we think to ourselves, well, that's just, that's just it. That's my lot in life. You know, I I can get saved and and I can give my life to Jesus, but um, it's not going to get any better than this until I get to heaven. I'm just going to have to suffer through. I'm just going to have to put up with this disappointing, dark, dreary life, and it's not going to get any better. I'll just give my life to Jesus and wait till I go to heaven. Rahab would say, that's not true. Rahab would say, my, hor- my, st- my st- story started off horribly. We don't know how Rahab got into prostitution. We don't know if she was forced into it. Uh, you we know, don't know if that was a life choice for her. I mean, you know, what we do know is that at 10 and 12 years old, little girls are not thinking to themselves, boy, I hope I grow up one day and become a prostitute. Nobody thinks like that. But, but somehow her life, story kind of took these turns and she ends up in this life of prostitution and i'll bet that even though she um never saw herself getting to that place i'll bet that when she was just about every time she was with a man she felt the shame and guilt and she did not like how her life was being written but then she ends up the great 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 i mean many greats grandmother to Jesus. And here's what I think that she would say to us. Let God write your story. Let God write your story. Give God the pen and let him write the story. We've been showing you the opening verse of Hebrews chapter 12. I read it just a few moments ago and we've done that in every uh, sermon in this series. But today I want to follow that up by reading uh, chapter, uh, verse 2 of, of Hebrews chapter 12. And this comes from the New American Standard. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, and then the New American Standard translates that very accurately, and I, I love this translation, by the way. The New American Standard, if you want, to, if you want the most accurate, it, we used to check our Greek homework by the New American Standard. It doesn't really get much more accurate than that. They use the phrase, the author and perfecter of our faith the author and perfecter of our faith. So there has to be this moment in your life where you would say, I've got to figure out how to get the pen out of my hand and get it into the hand of God because he's the one that needs to write the story. Now Rahab clues us in to a few keys about letting God write your story. And here's the first one. The first one is God searches for you to be in his story. God searches for you to be in his story. The way God does that is it's really kind of a course correction. We have to put the pen in God's hand, but that happens because he initiates the process. I, I can distinctly remember when I was about 26 or 27 years old, I'd been in youth ministry in Seymour, Indiana for four and a half years. I, it was the, my, my, the first ministry I'd ever been able to be you know, located and, and every day full time. And just learned a lot. But I I came to a place where I had decided, been praying about it for a long time. And, and, you know, when you're 26 and 27, you 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 got a lot of things yet to learn. Or at least I did. And um, I decided that I was just going to leave the ministry and leave the church. Well, I I went to the pastor that is still a very good friend of mine. Um, The man has had a huge impact on my life. His name's Bill Weaver. Um, just this humble servant of God has taught me so much and I went into his office It was I dreaded it I did not want to tell bill because I looked up to him so much and I knew he was not going to be happy And I went in and told him that not only was I leaving the church. I was going to leave the ministry And he just shook his head. He looked at me. and He said brett. I you know I understand that you you know, I always knew that you would move on from us and go to another church I've expected that but but You're leaving the ministry? And I said, yeah, I'm going to leave the ministry. And a lot of reasons for that, and not any one huge reason. Um, Again, this is a place where, if you were using our analogy this morning, Brett has the pen in his hand. Brett's writing the story. And Brett writes the story that he's going to leave ministry, and he's going to go get a job in in a factory, and there's nothing wrong with working in a factory. We need people working in factories. But... And one of the things that God taught me is that factories are really dark places. So when you talk to me about your work experience, some of you, and you talk about how dark it is there, I understand. I've been there. I've I've done that work. But basically, my life was a disaster in that period of my life. I mean, I made horrible life choices. I, I really, for a season, did not walk with God very strongly at all. And uh, just, just it, it, nothing went right. And I, I, I've talked to you in this series previously, couple, you know, four or five weeks ago, I told you the story about the dumpster. You know, I'm working with these guys that remodel houses and put roofs on and nail up siding and, you know, drywall and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm not completely inept when it comes to that kind of stuff, but <clears throat> I'm not real great at it. I can, I can function, but you wouldn't want me to finish anything in your house, I can promise you that. But God had me, that's what I was doing. Uh, wasn't being paid hardly anything, driving forever to get to these jobs. I mean, it's probably losing money, truth be told. And it, it culminated in this experience that I told you about several weeks ago where I'm emptying this fire-damaged house. I'm carrying all this debris out of this house and I'm walking up to this, this dumpster and it's January and it's cold and it's rainy and it's dark and dreary. And that was just kind of a microcosm of my whole life at the time and I'm packing out all this charred debris and trying to throw it up over this dumpster and half of it's falling back down on top of me and just the station I was in at life and the way things looked and again I've got the pen in my hand and all that debris just fell down on me and I I just in in that moment fell up against that dumpster just weeping weeping crying out to God and what would eventually have to happen is I would need to surrender the pen. God would eventually come searching for me. And, and the next thing I knew, I'm interviewing at a church in Terre Haute, Indiana, a place I told God I would never go. <laughs> Don't ever tell God where you will not go. I told God I wouldn't come to Terre Haute, Indiana, and I've been here forever, it seems like. And that's a good thing. God searches for you to be in his story. And that's what happened to Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute who lived in the wall, in her particular part of the wall, in the city of what was known as the city of Jericho. Now, Moses has passed on. Joshua is now leading the nation of Israel. and, And they are coming up on, you know, they've got land that they need to reclaim. God has talked to them about the promised land. And they've got to go in and take this land. And so they're sending out spies, they're sending out people. They're going to go fight Jericho, but before they go fight Jericho, they send in some scouts to see the lay of the land, to find out you know, how big are the troops, how, what's going on in this city. We need to know a little bit and be informed a little bit. And in Joshua chapter 2, we, we read about this story. Now if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to that. I know many of you are, are following along on your, on your phones now, which is awesome. I don't know how many of you have downloaded our app yet. I would encourage you to do that. Download the, the Cross Lane app. You can get that quick commercial. You can get that at the Google Store. You can get that at the iTunes Store. Just look up Cross Lane Community Church. Cool thing about the app is we, there's a place right within the app that it has the, you can have the Bible on your phone. And, um, so if you want to follow along that way, you can. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun... Secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Have to be careful how you navigate some of that right there. My, My Old Testament professor, Dr. Black, taught us how to navigate that. He said, whenever you're preaching from that, make sure you enunciate correctly. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, Rahab was not searching for them. They searched for her. Why? Because God had a plan. God made sure that they had snuck into Jericho, and he, he just happened to make sure that they snuck into this particular house. And I say that to say this, God has been coming after a bunch of you lately, and he, he wants you to do something, or he's speaking to you, he's calling you to something, you know that, you sense that, and you're kind of, you're, you know, you're doing the Heisman thing with God. You're like stiff arm, like no God. And you can get a sense that, that God's calling you to something. I don't want to hear that, God. And what God's saying is, isn't it about time that you let me have the pen that you've been gripping in your hand so long and you've been trying to write the story and it's not going that great for you? Isn't it about time that I took the pen? Why don't you hand me the pen? The book of Revelation, it is Revelation. It is not Revelations, just one Revelation says it this way, God will stand at the door and he will knock at your heart. Now, if he wanted to, God could knock that door down. If God wants to, he can come into your heart with a, you know, in a blaze of glory and and just completely dominate. He could do it that way if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to do it that way. He wants you to open the door to your heart. He says, how about today? Isn't it about time? Come on, how about How about now you take the pen out of your hand and you put it in my hand? Brett, why don't we do this? Why don't we do it now? Why don't we do it today? God will search after you, but here's a warning. God doesn't always do that. In fact, there's a place in the Bible that says God's spirit does not always strive with man. He gives you moments and he gives you opportunities. And for some of us who've been following God for a long, long time, You've known that for some time that there's certain thing that God wants you to do. You've known. I mean, nobody needs to tell you. You know. You know. You you know God's calling you to a different place, or wants you to change jobs, or He's wanting you to start that business, or you know, forgive somebody, or wants you to get in a life group. I don't know what it is, but you know, there's something God's calling you to, and you you're just kind of you know stiff arm, and you're at an intersection of your life where you say, boy, it's kind of dark right now. God is searching after you. Here's what Jesus says about it in John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. In other words, I've got a great plan for your life. I've got things for you to do. I have a vision. I have a plan. I know what I want you to do. And it's a lot of times when he would say that to us, he would probably follow up and say, and it's not what you see. It's not what you think. The spies were searching for Rahab. Second thing we learn from the story of Rahab is that God always makes a way for us to be in his story. He always makes a way. See, it isn't just enough that they sought after her. They, they came to her house, but, but there, was, they, they, there had to be a way for her to have this rewrite of her story. There had to be a way for for things to change and to turn and after the spies entered the land they came back to Rahab's house and they said listen don't go telling people that we were here we're going to crawl out your window we're going to go back to the nation of Israel and then we're going to come back with an army and we are going to level this city we're going to destroy this place and Rahab said I don't want to die and I don't want my family to die I don't want to die with the rest of my nation and they said okay when we come back This whole place is going to be destroyed, but we will make sure that you and your family are saved. We read about this in Joshua chapter 2. This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you you read that, and I've got scarlet cord highlighted there, and you say, okay, Brett, what's with the scarlet cord? What's that all about? Well, the scarlet cord is mentioned throughout Scripture, and it, it is always mentioned, when it's mentioned, it is calling to mind, in some way it's trying to connect us and connect our mind with the idea of the blood of Christ. Anytime you, when you read through the Bible, as you read through it, you're going to see the phrase scarlet cord several times. There's a place where a, a couple of twins get born, and one of them's hand comes out of the, of the womb first, and uh, the, the midwife ties up a scarlet cord around the wrist of that little baby every time you see the phrase scarlet cord what's going on there is it's calling to mind the blood of jesus you you may have a way but you need to take the way that has already been provided for you that's what the scarlet cord is about verse 20 of joshua 2 but if you tell what we are doing we will be released from the oath you made us swear and then rahab says agreed Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So when you hear scarlet cord, I want you to think blood of Jesus. Okay? Another place you would see this in the Old Testament was in the Passover when they put the blood over the the doorway. Okay? It's the same kind of of idea going on. We're thinking blood of Jesus. I don't know how many of you, when you were growing up, when I grew up in church, I, I grew up in children's church, we called it. We'd go to children's church, and they would have us sing the song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho. You remember that? And we, we, there was a dance that went with it. They had us dancing. We'd sing that song. And, and then we, we got into uh, youth group, and we would go to camp, and around the campfire, we would sing Joshua. We didn't say fit. We'd sing Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho, and we, and, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah. Like, some of you are looking at me right now like he's lost his mind. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have never heard the song, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho? Okay, I'm not singing it for you, okay? <laughs> I'm not singing it for you. But it is an old, it, it really is an old um, Negro spiritual. And the way, the, the accurate words, if you sing it the way they sang that song back in the, in the field, they would sing, Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho. So when we got to junior high school, I got into a choral class and we sang that song for our parents. They came and listened and, um, you know, just this great song. So it talks about the walls tumbling down. The walls did tumble down, all except for one section, just the section that Rahab and her family lived in. All the rest of the walls were leveled. Archaeologists, some archaeologists think that they may have found that site, that place where the walls fell a certain direction. Rahab's house was still standing and her family was saved why because she applied the blood of Jesus She applied what God did for her as a way out You don't like the story that you're in you don't like the story that's being written with your life right now There is a way out, but there's only one way out and that way involves Jesus. Now. we we get stubborn We don't like hearing that. There's got to be another way. I don't want to do it. Jesus way. No, there's one way People who aren't Christians hear us say things like that and say, boy, you're incredibly narrow-minded if if that's the only way. Look, don't get mad at me. Jesus is the one who said that, not me. But Jesus is the only one that ever died on a cross, went to a tomb, and rose on the third day. So if you can do that, you're allowed to say things like that when you can do things like that. I'll say it this way. You say, oh, no, 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 I just just need to get another degree. I don't need to just give my life to Jesus. I'll just get another degree, or I, I need... You know, we just need a, another house, or I'll just, I need a different job. Maybe that's what it is. I'll, I'll keep writing. I'll just keep trying on my own. I'll write my own story. You won't change anything, and you will most likely come to a place where you regret having kept the pen in your hand, and you're not going to like the story that, that you write for yourself, because I can tell you it's probably going to end up dark and disappointing, the only way your story ends up in a better place is when you put the, hand in the, put the pen in the hand of Jesus and you say, you write my story. He has the unique ability to take things that are dark and lifeless and breathe life into them and bring light to it. We looked at this passage last week. I want to revisit it again today. Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will take your dark story, no matter what it looks like up to this point, and he can turn it all around for the good. You say, Brett, I don't believe that. Trust me. There are people in this room this morning that would testify to what I just said. My life was abysmal until I finally put the pen in god's hand and i said god you write the story and ever since then it's just been a lot better life now not only were rahab and her family completely saved she had no idea there would be more to the story i think if you had asked rahab if you had said okay rahab what do you want she would have basically said i just don't want to die here in jericho okay these troops are coming I know it's going to get nasty. I know there's going to be a lot of death around me. I just don't want my family to get caught up in that. If you would have just guaranteed Rahab that, she would have said, awesome, awesome, I'll take it. That's how she saw her her life story. She thought that would pretty much be it. But, But that's not, see, her vision and God's vision were completely different. God said, oh no, I've got way more than that for you, Rahab. You're going to be actually in the lineage, you are going to be one of the grandmothers of the coming Messiah. That will be your legacy. Which brings us to the third thing that we learn from the life of Rahab, God's story always has a redemptive ending. Redemptive means it's better than you think it is. It's going to be better than you think it is. Redemptive in the fact that God doesn't want to just forgive your sins You know we say to ourselves well I'm just going to go to church and I'll get saved and 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 maybe one day I'll go to heaven and my life might not get any better on earth But you know one day I'll get to heaven and it'll be better No, no giving your heart to Christ isn't the end of your spiritual journey. It's the beginning of your spiritual journey It's not the end I think some people treat it that way, like, you know, I struggled through, and I finally found Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus, and then that's just where it ends. So I just, you know, that's just what I do. No, God has so much more for you. Who knew that Rahab would grow up to be the great, great, great to like the 29th power grandmother of Jesus? Jesus. After the story that we're looking at this morning, the next time we see uh, Rahab is in the book of Matthew. There are two gospels of the four that begin with a genealogy. Matthew starts with Abraham and shows 42 generations in the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew shows us that, that there are Um, he is a descendant of Abraham, that was a big deal, he wanted to show that, he wanted to show that Jesus was related to David, that was really important in his genealogy, and he mentions 42 grandfathers of Jesus, 42, but in those 42 grandfathers of Jesus, he inserts four grandmothers, not 42, he doesn't, he could have listed all the women, but he doesn't, he just names four, four grandmothers of Jesus. Now here's the question I have for you this morning. Why would Matthew do that? Why would Matthew put these four women in the genealogy? Normally, women did not appear in genealogies. I mean, most common people didn't even get a genealogy. It's unique that Jesus got one. They were generally uh, reserved for people who had achieved some greatness, like like emperors. They would hire historians, and they would hire those historians to kind of rewrite history to make them look good. But Matthew is writing the genealogy of Jesus and he includes these four women. So here's the question. Why just four? Why just four? And why these four? Here's, I think, the answer to the question. Because Matthew's story wasn't all that great either. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was hated in his community. Nobody liked him. He would say about his life, my life is dark and dismal, and and for all intents and purposes, um, there's no life to it, and there's no hope to it, and it's not going to ever get any better. And Matthew, the tax collector, wanted all of us to know that in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus, right in the middle of all these perfect people, tongue-in-cheek, because they weren't perfect, but right in the middle of all these normal, just everyday people, and there were 42 grandfathers, I'm going to do something. I'm going to insert these four women to make a point. We read this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3 in the genealogy. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, I'm not even going to tell you the story of Tamar, okay? It is so, you'll have to look that one up on your own. I don't know that I will ever preach a sermon on Tamar, all right? I keep telling you, you need to read your Bible, trust me. After I've teased you with this you're going to go home and you're going to get in Genesis 38 You're going to read the story of Tamar. I promise you right. That's where you'll find it. I'm not reading it in here Way too hot for in here, but but you go home and you read it. I keep telling you read your Bible read your Bible It's one of the darkest stories you'll ever read in the Bible and it involves a grandmother of Jesus Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's the story we're looking at this morning. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth wasn't even Jewish. She's not even Jewish. She shouldn't show up in this genealogy. She ends up in the genealogy of Jesus, an outsider. God lets an outsider in. Why? Because the tax collector wanted you to know. The tax collector who felt himself like an outsider wanted you to know Jesus makes room for people who feel like they're on the outside. You come on in. We read on. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, you may not have grown up in church, and you you may not know who Uriah's wife is, but if you grew up in church, and you've been, you know, like, you had junior worship and flannel graph and all that kind of stuff, you know that Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. And you don't even have to go to church to know that when I say the name Bathsheba, almost everybody knows who that is. She's the woman who was bathing on a rooftop, thinking she was in complete privacy, thinking she was concealed, not realizing that she was being watched. She was being watched by a king who was up on his roof, and he was looking down as she bathed. And he lusted after her, and he decided, I have to have her. And he sent for Bathsheba, and she was brought to him, And he lay with her, and she would conceive, and David would have her husband killed in battle. He would take her as his own wife. She didn't ask for any of that. She is a victim in the story. She lost her husband. She was shamed by the king of the nation. Why did Matthew insert those four names? Why do these four women show up in the genealogy of Jesus? It's a fair question, and I think the answer is very encouraging for us because he wanted you to know through Tamar's story that God will forgive the darkest sin. God will forgive it. He wanted you to know through Rahab's story that God will use you regardless of your past. He wanted you to know through Ruth's story that even though you feel like an outsider, you are not an outsider, you are welcomed in. And he wanted you to know through Bathsheba that God can heal any situation. That's what God wanted you to know. He wanted you to know that he can turn your story around. God can turn your story around. The next time you start to think that your story is dark, you just remember the four grandmothers of Jesus. The next time you start thinking, God can't use me, God's not even seeing me, I've completely uh, disqualified myself from being used by God, you remember the four grandmothers of Jesus. So before Rahab returns back to the stands, after she has run her lap with us, after she has breathed her encouragement to us, what would she say? What might she say? I think first and foremost, she would say, let God write your story. And here's how. When God invites you to be a part of his story, join him. Say yes. When he asks you to be a part of his story, just say yes, even though it's scary, even though you don't understand, even though it's really not what you're looking for. I came to this church in 1992 as the youth pastor. I spent eight and a half years here as a youth pastor. In April of 2000, the elders came to me and said, Brett, we, we would like for you to lead our church. And my mom had been saying, Brett, when are you going to preach? And I would say, Mom, I don't think God's calling me to preach. I mean, I went to school to learn how to preach, but once I got into it, I would see the guy that was preaching before me, Bill Grandy, I would see him on his way to do funerals, and I would watch him, you know, getting prepared for weddings, and I'd watch him do counseling and all that stuff, and I was doing, I was doing fun stuff with kids, and I'm like, I'm glad I'm not him. I want to do that job. Today, when I see Ryan packing all those kids in the van to drive them to Kings Island, I think to myself, I'm glad I'm not him. (laughs) April of 2000, they come and they say, Brett, we would like for you to, to preach for us and lead us. And I, I said, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Brett, when are you going to preach? Mom, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if God's calling me to preach. And her answer was always the same, Brett. When, when God calls you, when he wants you, he'll call you. You'll know it. And that was April 2000. My first sermon at this church as a pastor was May of 2000. There were, have been some really cool things that have happened since that time. And as I talk about those, I want to be very, very, very clear that I'm not taking credit for any of that. I'm just simply saying that when you yield yourself to God, some real, you, you get a chance to see some really cool things. I mean, we've seen hundreds of people give their life to Christ and be baptized We've had huge opportunities to help people. There's a couple of new buildings that are in place since that time. And, and our staff has grown. Our church has grown. And again, I'm not taking credit for any of that. That's God's work. That's not mine. I'm simply saying I've been allowed to be a part of it and to have an a up-close personal seat and to watch it happen. And, and some of it has gone through me. And every time any of it goes through me, I just kind of stand there with, with empty hands like, God, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? And I think what God would say is, it's a, you'd be amazed, Brett, what I can do when you don't resist me. Just don't resist me. A lot of you are, are resisting God. Some of you are just, you know God's calling you to something, you know what He wants, and you are just tight fist, fist clenched. I'm not moving. No, God, I'm not doing it. I'm telling you. Life gets brighter and life comes and hope comes when you let go and God comes in to start doing things that you've resisted for a long time. And some of you know I'm right. You're you're resisting God. Some of you need to give your life to God for the first time. Some of you, God's knocking on the door of your heart and your heart is so locked up and it's so tight. I'm telling you, you need to open the door. Stop resisting. Go all in. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And some of you are looking at your life story and you're thinking, man, do I need the light of life in my life. Man, do I need light. It's dark in here. Luke nine twenty three and 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must... Get the pen out of their hand and put it in God's hand. you got to get the pen. You're writing the story yourself. I'm telling you, the more you write the story, the worse it's going to get, okay? The, The more you try to correct, the more stuff goes bad and you're like, well, I'll just edit that and I'll write that. No, no. Hand God the pen. God will write a better story than you. Salvation is nothing more than the day you surrender your life to a better author than the author that you are writing your own story. That that verse goes on. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. It will feel, sometimes when you're giving your life to Christ, it will feel like you're losing it. Even those of you that have walked with Christ for a long time, and there's something he's calling you to do, and you're, you're clinging like you don't want to give it up. You know God's asking you for something. He's asking for you to give it to him, and you're like, no, I don't want to give that to you it will feel like you're losing your life you like you're gonna lose it all when you hand that over sometimes trusting God can feel like jumping out of an airplane trust me I've done both I've trusted God and I've jumped out of an airplane and I can tell you those feelings are very similar okay I jumped out of an airplane at 10,000 feet a perfectly good airplane there wasn't nothing wrong with that airplane wasn't going down wasn't on fire I put my trust in a man or a woman I don't know who packed it I didn't see him pack my chute I don't know what their qualifications were they handed me a parachute and they said this thing will open when you pull the string okay I put my complete trust in someone I didn't know in a parachute that was strapped to my back to catch me when I pulled the string it's a pretty good analogy Trusting God sometimes feels like that. I can tell you this, I'm in way better shape trusting God than I am the guy that packs a parachute. I can tell you that. It's called faith, but if you do, whoever loses their life for me will save it. Listen, give your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. Second thing Rahab might say to us is God wants to surprise you with his love. Accept him. I don't think it's a stretch to think that Rahab was surprised that of all the people in the city of Jericho, she's the one God decided to use. I think Rahab would say, boy, I'm just floored by that. I can't believe he chose me. God does that intentionally. God intentionally picks some of the people with some of the darkest stories to do some of his work. Some of you are coming to church, you're like, Brett, God's never going to use me to do something big for him. Yeah, he will. No, because you don't, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. Here's what I know. I know Moses was a stutterer and a murderer, and God used him. I know David was an adulterer and a murderer, and God called him a man after God's own heart, and God used him to write some of the most beautiful psalms we've ever sung or ever heard. And I know that God used a Christian killer to write two-thirds of the New Testament. God is trying to let you know that there is no place that you can go that the love of God does not reach. No place. No place. You come to me and you say, Brett, you don't know what I've done. Don't care what you've done. Don't care how far from God you've run. Don't care what you've said. Don't care what your declarations have been. Don't care what you did last night. Don't care what you did three months ago or three years ago that you think you can't get over. You have not done anything that is bigger than God's grace for you. I hear it all the time, Brett, God can't love me. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can get past it. I don't know if God can get past what I've done. Listen, he will accept you, but you have to accept him. Brett, God God can't understand what I'm going through. Oh, yes, he does. Listen to this in Hebrews. I love the way this gets written in the message. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Don't try to earn it, just receive the love of God. Some of you are so, the walls are so up, you just refuse to let God love you. Here's the third thing I think Rahab might say. God wants you to love others With your actions, so serve him. Rahab would say the best moment of my life was not when I got saved there in Jericho. The best moment of my life was when I figured out, as I had children and served God with the rest of my life, the best part of my life was the moment I realized, oh my goodness, I'm going to be one of the great grandmothers of Jesus. Listen. Once he fixes your story, he wants to use you to touch other people. I had three conversations on the way out and on the way in this morning with people, who were t- we, and, w- and the, the conversation was using dark spots in your life, using the moments when you think God's really not even a part of it, using those moments when you've done something really stupid and God has brought you out of it, using all the, all the bad experiences. Sometimes it's not even something stupid that you did. I was talking to a guy that's lost his mother in recent weeks. And I I looked at him and I said, I have no idea what you're going through. You would be such a better pastor than me for anybody who's lost a mother. Because I don't know what that's like. But you do. You do. There's a terrible myth that exists in the church, and I don't know where it came from, but it's just wrong. The myth is, you can't really do anything for God until you get your act together. Get your act together I am constantly trying to get my act together. I don't know about you, like that is my full-time job. Is Brett? What are you doing? I'm just trying to get my act together. Anybody with me? I mean, you feel like every day your life is I'm trying to get my act together. Somebody say I can't lead a life group. Nobody wants to listen to me. I, I nobody I can't. I mean, Brett, I could not lead a life group. Listen. There are people that would be in a life group with you that would love to hear your story and love to hear how you handed the pen to God and said, God, write my story. We are, we are all in the hospital here. It's just that some of us got here a little earlier than others of us. That's, that's the only difference between us. We're all in the hospital. We're all sick. We all need Jesus. It's just that some of us have been here a little longer than the other ones. It doesn't make us better than you. God wants to use you. He wants to use your grief. He wants to take the darkness you've been through. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And when you do that, the story begins to turn great. Ask anybody that's serving at Cross Lane, and they will tell you when I started to serve, God started to do something different in my life. Dr. Martin Luther King said, Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. And when you do, that is when your story becomes awesome. I'm going to close with this. This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is Paul. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So here's the question this morning, and we'll close. What does God get out of it? Why would he do that for us? Why would he forgive us, and why would he treat us with grace the way he does? What does God want from me? He has to want something, right? I mean, he just wouldn't do this for no reason. We find the answer in verse 17. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God, and all God's people said, amen. Rahab would say all God wants for rewriting your story and for blessing your story is that you would let him sign his name to it and say thank you. Thank him. Glorify him. I want to bow with you. I want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. And then the band will come out and play us out. Father, Father, I just I want I to thank you for what you've done in my life. I want to thank you for a godly mother who didn't send me to church, she took me to church. She prayed for me. She taught me about Jesus. I want to thank you for being able to grow up in a great church, in a great city, in a great place. I was protected, I was safe. God, everybody in the world doesn't have that. I got that. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving me just a fantastic youth pastor, someone I could look up to, someone that would love me and encourage me. I want to thank you for a pastor that would pour into my life and teach me so much. Father, I want to thank you for keeping me safe and taking me through college pouring into my life and walking through with me through some really dark times and some, some questions and stupidity. I want to thank you, Father, for never forsaking me when I have forsaken you. I want to thank you for taking a kid and somehow using his life in ministry Father, I want to thank you for taking someone who is incredibly flawed, so imperfect, and allowing him to speak on your behalf. Father, I want to thank you for taking my life using it as the example for anybody that would watch that would say he didn't have his act together but God somehow seems to get something done through him maybe he could do that for me Father for the one in here who walked in and thinks life is too dark and I'm too disappointed and I'm too far gone I pray that you would reach down into their gut this morning and whisper their name and help them to see that they have not gone too far they have not sinned too much they have something to offer you something you can use and when that happens and they see the beauty of it that they would fall to their knees in a prayer of thanksgiving Father flawed as we are we come to you this morning And we collectively lift our voices and we lift our hearts and we lift our souls to you. And we thank you for who you are, for your grace, your wisdom, and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you are clinging to a pen that you need to let God have because he wants to write a story with your life. And you walked in here. And you will not let go of the pen. I am begging you this morning, put the pen in the hand of the great author and let him write your story. If you've never given your life to Christ, that is the first step. He will make your life better. It won't all be perfect, but he's gonna bring life and he's gonna bring light and you will never regret it.